Well, I want to begin today by going back to last week as we considered the topic of noise. And boy, I've been so encouraged by so many of you this week, whether through uh, text messages or other messages or online through social media, especially on Facebook, in terms of updates as you try to put into practice the 7 by 7 challenge, right, of engaging God in silence, solitude, and stillness. As you recall, last week the challenge was to engage in silence, solitude, and stillness for the next seven days, for seven minutes each day as a way to be renewed as a follower of Jesus. And I've heard reports of how that's been. Even if you tried it once, right, any new practice or new discipline, right, just trying it once and even trying for 60 seconds, that's a win, right? Like getting back into working out physically or trying to eat well or all the different disciplines, sometimes it just takes one step. And so for some of you this week, that one step was a huge step, well done. Others of you went for a couple days, some of you may have gone all seven days. I'd love to hear if someone meant all seven days, not just so you get an A or, you know, a blue ribbon, right? But that, just to hear those experiences. I know for me it was super renewing to engage with you in that process. And so I want to give us a taste of that again today. So we're going to begin this sermon like we ended last sermon last week. And that's with a minute of silence to prepare our hearts uh, for what God has for us. So I'm going to give us a minute. I'm going to time it on my phone here. Uh, don't text me during the sermon because it'll come. Oh, no, but I'll take, take a minute of silence uh, here together before God. Maybe not in solitude, but here together before him. Let's take a minute. I'm going to begin this time by saying, God, we are here in your presence. Amen. Amen. Well, as we think about our days, right, every day is made up of a series of decisions. We may not look at our days that way, but if you were to run, you know, run the clock, if you were to play the movie of your days, you would see a series of decisions. Think about yesterday. Right, yesterday, as you go through your day, it was a series of decisions. I think about my day. I woke up yesterday morning thinking, should I or should I not go for a run? A decision. Coming back from a, should I, should I not spend some time in silence, solitude, and stillness? A decision. And then out of that, what needs to be done? The lawn needs to be cut. The car needs to be worked on. Boxes need to be unpacked. There's family to spend time with, right? There's countless decisions that need to be made. Um, As you think about your days, think about yesterday in particular, or just any day, you think about your day, it's a series of decisions. But how often do we slow down to consider how we make decisions. Because, and do we slow down to consider what drives those decisions? Because our decisions, the summation of our decisions shapes who we are. Whether we realize it or not, all those decisions together shape who we are. And so it behooves us to consider how and why we make decisions. And as followers of Jesus, the question we all need to ask is, 
To what extent is God a part of that decision-making process? Is he someone there at the beginning? Is he someone there maybe at the end after we've made a decision and we ask God to stamp his approval? Or maybe he's not there at all. So that's the topic of today. We're going to talk about faithful decisions. And a decision that's marked by God's input and his presence in that discernment. Because even for me as a pastor, right, I should get it right. I'm paid to be a follower of Jesus. Just kidding. But the fact that like as, as, as a pastor, I should be making every decision with God in mind. But it's so easy to move on from one thing to the next in this busy world and to leave God behind. And even for me, I have to find myself saying, God, I'm coming back to you. Help me to rein in my decision-making process and to include you, not just at the end or maybe not at all, but at the very beginning. So that's our focus today is faithful decisions as we continue in the opening sermon series with you called Let's Dance. So I invite you to say those words one more time. Again, let's dance, right? So recall these opening weeks all the way through Labor Day, I'm sharing with you some key topics and areas of conviction in my life as a follower of Jesus and as a pastor. So you get a sense of who I am as a follower of Jesus, who I am as a pastor, because uh, in many ways leadership is like a dance. And as we've been talking about it, as two partners come together in the beginning, it can be awkward as they learn to dance together, as one is leading and one is following. And in those times, it takes trust until they find a rhythm, and that rhythm can be one of joy. But in the beginning, as they're learning together, typically dance partners step on each other's toes, especially when they get close. And I want to warn you today, today is going to be a step on your toes kind of sermon. I should have told you to wear your boots because we're going to step on your toes today, not your dancing shoes. And honestly, it's not me stepping on your toes. It's going to be Jesus because Jesus had a way of stepping on the toes of those who listened to him because Jesus didn't pull back anything. Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God, right? God's ways, which are not typically our ways. And when the kingdom of God comes in contact with our kingdom, there's a collision, and it forces a question. It forces a decision. Are we going to go with God's ways, or are we going to continue in our ways? And so we're going to look at one of those collision moments today in the Gospel of Luke, where Jesus says he's teaching, he's interrupted, Right? Jesus is interrupted in his teaching by someone who wants Jesus to do something for him. And in that interruption, Jesus, I love what he does. Jesus uses it as a teachable moment, not only for the person who interrupted him, and not only for the listeners and the disciples in the first century, but recorded in scripture for us, it can interrupt our lives here in the 21st century. And so we'll look at a passage in the Gospel of Luke chapter 12, Right, starting in, verses, starting in verse 13. And to introduce the passage again, we have Jesus, he's teaching, he's interrupted. Someone makes, uh, uh, directs Jesus to do something for him. And as Jesus uses it as a teachable moment, he specifically uses, after a little bit of teaching, a parable. Now the parables of Jesus, I love the parables of Jesus. Maybe it's because I love stories, maybe because I love comparisons, right? A parable is when something comes alongside something else for way of comparison, way of teaching. And Jesus used parables, whether it was a direct comparison or stories, to get the attention of his listeners. Because much like us today, his listeners in that time, even more so, loved a good story. And in that story, typically, Jesus would be walking down a path. Not physically, but the story would be going down a certain path. And as the story was heading a certain path, the listeners would expect a certain ending. But then Jesus would shock them in terms of what happened with that ending. 
It would go a different direction. And typically it went a different direction because he was proclaiming again the kingdom of God. And God's ways are not typically our ways. And so Jesus used these parables to wake up his listeners and to point them in the way of God. And he typically shocked them as he did it. So picking up in Luke chapter 12 today, we're going to start in verse 13 in this account. We read this. Someone in the crowd said to him, meaning Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then, then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. So I'm going to read it again. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. All right, this is God's word, amen. As we look at this passage, again, Jesus is teaching, right? And he's engaging with the religious leaders and seemingly out of nowhere, a man interrupts him and says, he says, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Or we don't have a lot of backstory. We don't have the person's name, but we can see most likely that, that there's an inheritance. We see that there's an inheritance. That means their father has died, and most likely this is a younger brother because the older brother would have been able to finish this transaction. So the younger brother is not getting what he wants. There's a broken relationship here. And so this man, he's thinking, oh, Jesus has the authority. Jesus has the ability. And he interrupts Jesus' teaching and says, tell, this, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus, it's interesting, his response, right? His word response is, man, man, right? Bible scholar, right? Ken Bailey, who lived many years in the Middle East, notes that this response by Jesus to this man was, was one that was a little rough. Um, in fact, the word man, when it was used in this way, in this, in this type of dialogue, would have spoken to saying, look, I, I'm not going to use your name. I'm not even going to call you friend. I'm just going to call you man. And there's almost a sense of disappointment. Man, who made me arbiter? I mean, if you were to go with the old ESPN NFL situation, it would almost be like he's saying, come on, man. Come on, man. Man, who made me arbiter between you and your brother? And then Jesus goes to a warning. He says, watch out. Right, Jesus is trying to get the attention of the listeners and specifically to this man, but everyone listening. Watch, I says, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Right, so Jesus is saying, you guys need to watch out. You need to be vigilant. This needs to be constant. This is a constant threat. 
And notice how he says not just be on guard against greed. He says all kinds of greed. Now a Bible study hint. Every time you're going through scripture, if there's something that could be said in a simple way, but if there's, that, that's one thing. But if, you, if there's additional words, pay attention to those words. Here Jesus could have said, be on guard against greed. That would have been a teachable moment. But he said, be on guard against all kinds of greed. And so with that note, that Jesus is saying, greed comes in many forms. For me, it's like an image of like water coming, like, and there's all these different holes, and you have to plug all these different holes. And if you don't plug all the different holes, the water's gonna come in and get you. Jesus is saying, be on guard against all kinds of greed. It's coming, that temptation comes from all different angles. And he says, because life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Right, the giver of life, Jesus, here shares where life does not come from. Life does not come from an abundance of possessions. Right, true life, supposedly that could come from a, an abundance of possessions, maybe where we have comfort or security. He's like, that's not where life comes from. And again, take note. When he could have said, life does not consist of our possessions, he says, an abundance of possessions. And here he's teaching this man saying, look, he wants this inheritance divided. He wants the money, you know, from that inheritance. Be careful that you're going to, he says, that you're going to put your faith and your hope and your trust in abundance of possessions which will come from that money because it doesn't give life. Well, Jesus could have stopped there, but he goes on to tell this story, this parable. You know, about a rich man. Notice this man's already rich and his, and his ground yields an abundant harvest. So this man who's already rich, all of a sudden his fields are even give him more crops, more resources. And it's so interesting how this man responds to that situation. But what we can note is that this rich man, that this harvest comes and it's a gift. Right? Even though the the farmer or those he hired to be farmers can do the work of preparation ultimately, right, that a harvest is a gift ultimately from God because of the conditions, because of the weather. But this man doesn't see this as a gift. He sees it almost as a right as this comes to him. So what's wrong with this picture, right? Well, in many ways, uh, this man was smart as a businessman because he had a surplus of crops. And so he decided to say, I'm going to build up storehouses and by building up storehouses, instead of trying to sell those crops, when everyone else also probably had an abundance, so prices were low, he was going to save those crops, put it in a storehouse, and then sell it later at a higher price. So no doubt this, this man, he was rich for a reason. He was a good businessman. He knew what he was doing. But as Jesus tells the story, and specifically with this man who asked for his brother to divide the inheritance with him, Jesus makes a point that this man was looking in the wrong places for life. And ultimately, we see what's wrong with this picture. A couple things. One, we see this man was a greedy man, that he wanted to store up more and more, ultimately, so he could have his comfort and security. We read later where he said, hey, I just want to live life, eat, drink, and be merry. Right, so first, we see that he's greedy. Second, we see that he's not thinking about anyone else but himself. Do you notice this passage? I love how Jesus tells the story. First, the, the, there's an abundant crop, right? He has a surplus of, of resources. What does this man do? First, he thinks to himself. He thinks to himself a couple things. And then he talks to himself. What should I do? Notice how he doesn't talk to anyone else. He doesn't talk to God. He doesn't talk to anyone else in terms of wise counsel. 
This man lives in his own brain, in his own world. This man embodied an echo chamber before that word even existed. Right? He just lived in his own world, his own thoughts, his own assumptions, and it's all based on the natural world, what he can see based on his own self-focused needs and desires. So we see a couple things that are wrong here, that he's greedy, we see that he's self-centered, and we also see this, and those who were listening at that time, remember, Jesus, when he spoke these parables and went around teaching, most of the people were poor, they were peasants. And so they would have heard this parable and thought, this man is super selfish. He has all these crops. We're starving. We're looking for our next meal. And he's going to store them away? And so we see this man, again, is so self-centered that he doesn't even realize that there's thousands upon thousands of people around him who are starving, who would kill, literally, for those crops. But he's going to store them away. Now the listeners probably would have thought, sure, that's, that would make sense. That's what any rich person would do. That's what they're always doing. But they wouldn't have been happy about it. But then verse 20 comes. And this is where the parable shifts. This is where Jesus shocks the listeners. Because in some ways, the listeners would have said, that's just the way life is. That's just the way things go. But those two words in verse 20, but God. But God. Right? God interrupts our lives. God interrupts the trajectory of our lives and resets them according to his ways and his purposes. And here we read, but God. And God spoke to him. And he said these, these convicting words, you fool. He calls a man a fool. Now, fool in the Bible doesn't speak to lacking intellectual knowledge, though there may be some of that. The description of a fool in the Bible is someone who operates and lives without God in the equation, without God in the picture. They live based only on what they see, what they hear, what they smell, what they touch. Right? They live by the five senses. They don't live with God in the picture. And they live based on what seems right, what's natural, what seems like common sense in this world, but they don't let God interrupt their lives. Here, God is interrupting this person's life in the parable. He says, you fool. He goes, this very night, your life will be demanded of you. Here, Jesus is making a point. He's using language that was used with loans. So if you loan someone money and you want that money given back, there's a time when that loan needs to be paid, it's demanded back. Here, Jesus is intentionally using that word saying, your life, your life is on loan from God. It's really not our own. Our life is a gift and it's on loan from God. We are his, everything is his, we are his, and we're on loan. He's saying here that this very night, he's telling in the parable that this very night your life will be demanded of you meaning your time is up. And this is, and who will benefit from these crops stored in these barns? Since obviously when this happened, he wasn't talking to anyone else. This man is a picture, this rich man in this parable is a picture of a person who's alone, who's living for himself, not with God in the picture, and therefore those crops would just rot away. And Jesus finishes after he tells this parable and says, this is how it will be for those who store up things only for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Not rich toward God. See, Jesus wants his followers to be guided by his interests, not just the interests that we have. To be guided by his ways, his kingdom, not just our kingdom and our ways. And to ask God, what do you want me to do with what you've given to me? 
So as you think about faithful decisions, right here we see an example in this parable of a person who didn't have God in the picture, who wanted to make decisions based on what he was thinking and what he said to himself, but didn't engage God, didn't speak to God or to others who would give him wise counsel in the way about God. And so Jesus says, this is what it will be like for those who only store up things for themselves but are not rich towards God. What does it mean to be rich towards God? As we continue in the passage, we see the next section, which we're not going to go into. It's the classic section where Jesus says, do not worry. Do not worry about what you'll eat, what you'll drink, or what you wear, but seek his kingdom, and all this will be given to you as well. Jesus says, look, as you follow me, don't worry. Then he says these words in verse 32 through 34. He says, do not be afraid, those great words too. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has, ple- has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. And then this great teaching, for where your treasure is, there, there, your heart will be also. All right, Jesus in his words to the disciples and those listening, words that are echoed throughout, especially the Old Testament and throughout the New Words that we all need to hear. Do not be afraid. Right? Fear can overtake us quickly, can it? Right? We need to hear those words from God every single day. Here, Jesus, especially in light of these types of decisions, specifically financial decisions and the future, says, do not fear. I love how he describes his little flock. Because I've given you everything. I've given you the kingdom. He says, therefore, if I've given you everything, I've given you the kingdom, you're playing with house money. Go ahead. Go ahead and give away Give away those resources. Give them away to my purposes in the world and watch how there's freedom. Watch how there's joy as you invest in things that are eternal, not just for the here and now. That's what it means to be rich towards God. Because I believe Jesus here is ultimately saying fear comes when we want to hold on to things and we need things for security and comfort. And realize the more that we try and hold on to them, the more that they hold on to us. Right? A quote that I forgot to read from earlier in the sermon you know, if we do not take hold of our possessions, then they will take hold of us. Right? If we don't take hold of our possessions, meaning take ownership, recognize them from God, and point them in the ways that God wants them to be used in this world, they're going to take hold of us. So Jesus says, do not fear, little flock. I've given you everything. And so give. Give to my purposes in the world and experience joy-filled freedom that comes from letting, not holding on to things, and letting, because as we hold on to things, they actually hold on to us, but learning to let them go. And then those great words says, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Right, meaning where we direct our treasure, where we direct our finances, our time, and our abilities, our heart's gonna be there as well. And so many times I get questions over the years, how can I grow close to God? I feel so far from God. Help me, pastor, help me, Jeff. Help me know I could grow, how I could grow closer to God. Well, here Jesus says, here's a clear way to do it. If you give of yourself, your time, your abilities, and your finances to my purposes in the world, where my heart is, God says, then your heart's gonna follow. So if God's heart is over here, and you point your treasures, your time, right, your abilities and your your finances to God's purposes, your heart's gonna join where God's is. But if God's heart is over here, and we point our time and our abilities and our finances to everything else, and we wonder, why are we far from God? Here, in those who numbered, numbered the, the, the verses in the Bible, 
I just think this is great. Luke 1, 2, 3, 4. It's really the basics. I count them 1, 2, 3, 4. I think Jesus is saying here, look, you want to get to the heart of the matter, the basics, where your treasure is, your heart is also. So if you need to memorize a verse, this is great. Luke 1, 2, 3, 4. Not 1,234. People think you're crazy, but Luke 12, 34. It's the basics. So what do we do with all this? As we think about this man who interrupted Jesus' teaching, and we think about Jesus' response to that teachable moment, both his teaching and the parable, I believe God is calling us to faithful decisions. And that faithful decision is to make the first move to turn to God. To not live like this man in the parable who thought to himself and talked to himself and made that decision on limited, a limited worldview, really tunnel vision based on his own life, looking for his own comfort, his own security, but to make the first move to turn to God and say, God, what do you want to do with what you've given to me? And in that, those words of Jesus, do not worry. Those words of Jesus, do not be afraid. Where when there's worry and there's fear that comes around possessions, right, our natural move is to pull it in, right, to say we need to be secure, we need comfort, we need to pull all our resources and not give them away. That's our natural move in fear, right? We get locked up. But the way of Jesus, the kingdom of God, exhibited in this parable, seen in his life itself, given on the cross. Jesus didn't keep his life to himself. He gave it away on the cross by giving away our lives, by giving away our time, by giving away our talents and using them, by giving away our finances to God's purposes. That's where freedom comes. A joy-filled freedom that only God can truly give. So as we conclude, I want to give one thing to remember, one thing to do, and some questions to consider. First, one thing to remember from the sermon, right? All, not some, all of our financial resources are from God, right? He calls us to make faithful decisions through dedicating them to his purposes and not just our own, right? So recognizing and starting and saying, God, everything's from you. We sang those words and songs leading up to the sermon, right? All of our financial resources are from, really our very lives are from God. They're on loan from God. And as that truth collides with our lives, or the kingdom of God collides with our lives, if we choose to start with Jesus as the way to interpret our lives, and that he has given us everything, it begins a process of freedom, a process of saying, I'm going to turn and make my first move to God, as opposed to just our limited thoughts. So what's one thing to do? Is this week is to prayerfully look for a God-given opportunity or to make a faithful financial decision this week by seeking God's direction first and then pointing your financial resources to what he reveals to you, right? And so don't be like the person in this parable who received something and then automatically thought, it's for me. I'm gonna store this up so I can eat, drink, and be merry. I want my own comfort. I want my own security. But instead, whatever we receive, this week pray and be attentive. Ask God, show me a situation. Uh, maybe some additional money comes your way saying, God, maybe there's someone I'm supposed to bless with this. Maybe this is not for me. Maybe you have some additional time. Someone cancels an appointment or something opens up and all of a sudden it's like, wait, I have some additional time. Maybe there's someone I can call who's hurting. Maybe there's someone I can pray for. Uh, maybe there's someone I could sit down with. Uh, maybe it's an ability. Maybe you've realized, hey, you've picked up a, a skill or re-picked up a skill. I think about musicians in our church and our music teams need some help, right? So if you're someone who plays bass or plays guitar and has a voice, I know Jen would love to have you be a part of the team. 
I know that Linda it would be love to have you be a part of the choir at 11 o'clock, right? Maybe you've, there's an ability that you've discovered or rediscovered and you haven't thought, how can I use it for God's glory in the church? Right, but back to finances. The reason I'm focusing on finances is because Jesus did. And Jesus talked more about money than heaven and hell and sex combined. Why? Because it was, he knows how close it is to our heart. And Jesus doesn't want your money. I don't want your money. Jesus wants your heart. He wants your heart. And that's why he talks so much about it. And so he knows that when we make our first move to give ourselves to him, ultimately, again, we move our hearts towards him. And that's where we experience true life, true renewal, and true hope. And so as you think about this, also as a church family, I want us to be thinking about what this means in terms of our financial giving to New Providence Presbyterian Church. Or perhaps it's been a while since you've stepped back and thought, how can I give or how can I commit or recommit to giving consistently to our church family? Because I believe that God calls together a local church and a local community to be his light in a special way. And our church is a special church with a special mission. And as we give consistently to God's mission financially, he then funds what he wants to do in this community. And so he's given you jobs. He's given you ability to make money in part to be able to fund his purposes and partially in and through our church family. And so I ask as part of this consideration and the thing to do this week is to pray and ask God again, what is my commitment to New Providence Presbyterian Church in terms of a consistent percentage giving? Right in the, in, the New, in the Old Testament, the tithe was the 10% marker of what to give, right, in terms of giving crops and, and other resources back to God. Right, as we move into the New Testament, there's conversations, is the tithe still, you know, operative? The bottom line is I think God gave us that number as a starting point because we need something. And to consider what would it look like, and it may seem outlandish to some of us, to give 10% of our income back to God, recognizing that he gives us everything and we give back to him. And if it's not 10%, to start at a percentage somewhere and say, I want to give consistently through the mission of New Providence Presbyterian Church, ultimately to live out the great commission that Jesus shared in Matthew 28. Um, so I invite you to consider that this week. Imagine as we finish, imagine if we lived differently in life Jesus' teaching in this parable. Imagine, right, if we didn't live like this person in the parable who talked to himself and thought to himself and only lived within himself. Imagine if we got to a point where we said, God, I want to go to you first. When I'm given something, I want to go to you first and say, what do you want me to do with what you've given to me? Imagine what that would look like both for our personal lives as a church family, because my dream and desire is that we'd be able to bless as many people as possible, right? Starting within our church family, out into our community, and out to the world. And as we give to God's purposes in the world, we receive the joy and the freedom that comes from not holding on to our possessions, both individually and as a church family, but as we give them away, just like Jesus gave away his life, and as we give away our lives, and as he was then resurrected from the dead in new life, that's where we begin to see the hope of the kingdom of God and the joy that comes from living a selfless life rooted in him. A couple questions to consider as we finish up. Um, both we ask you to consider these questions over lunch today, maybe later today with your family, on your own in a journal. First, how would you rate your financial decisions in light of Jesus' teaching in this sermon? Right, get real. I said I'd be stepping on some toes today. I'm telling you Jesus is stepping on some toes. Get real with this question. Right, 10, if you were to rate it on a scale of one to 10, it's gonna get uncomfortable. 10 is, God, everything is from you. Everything. I, I don't deserve anything. 
And therefore, because of that, I'm going to turn to you. I turn to you right away first and foremost, and I think about others first, and I want to give away what I have to you, whether it's time, whether it's my abilities or financial resources. You're my first move. I'm, that's a 10. One, and I'm just going to step on my own toes because I struggle with this, is when I'm given something, some extra money or an extra time, one is saying, thank, not thank God, because it wouldn't be thanking God, right? So thank myself, I don't know, that, that I have this money and time, and it's for me. And I want comfort. I want security. I want to be happy. I'm going to use this money, time, or whatever to make me happy, and everyone else can just disappear. I don't care about them. That's a one. We're on a continuum, somewhere between one and ten. Get honest with God and with yourself. There's no shame in this. There's lots of grace that God wants to meet you in that assessment, one through ten. Rate, rate yourself on that. Two, the second question is, with whom do you consult when you make a financial decision? Think about this. As you make financial decisions, is God in the picture or other people in the picture, whether it's within your family or a trusted person who's following Christ who could help you think wisely about your resources? With, with whom do you consult? Number three, what is an example of a faithful financial decision you can make this week? Be thinking about that. What's a faithful financial decision you can make this week? Um, starting with considering what it means to commit or recommit to financially giving to New Providence Presbyterian Church and God's mission through us. And then on to keeping your eyes open because God's going to give you something if you pray for it, right? Additional money, additional time, and maybe even starting or using an ability in a special way. How can you make a faithful decision this week? Don't let this week pass without engaging God in this and seeing what he does. I look forward to hearing the stories as we give ourselves more and more to God, surrendering to his love and trusting that he will lead the way. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the words of Jesus. They're not always easy. Lord, his words, as they come up against our lives and as the kingdom of God collides with our personal kingdoms, God, it calls for a response. And so give us wisdom. Give us courage. Help us to be open to what you want to show us and teach us. God, help us to make our first move to turn to you. And as we turn to you and learn to surrender ourselves to you, that we would experience the joy and freedom that comes from li li living a surrendered life to you and your purposes in this world. That we would not hold tightly to what you've given to us, but Lord, that we would be more open. And that would be a marker of us, not only individually or as families, but as a church family. And that we would be known as a loving, serving, generous church both with each other in our community and indeed around the world. We pray this in the powerful and matchless name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.